Flicks and Chill, a movie discussion show. I'm Kev. And I'm Cal. And today, we're talking about the hot start to 2022. We break down our homework discussion all the way back from Feb, and then we move into our feature discussion for movies that kickstarted our movie-watching year. All that and more as us, the guys, get back in the booth for another episode of Flicks and Chill. Alan, what's up? It's been a month and change. We had the Oscars. We had a lot going on. How have you been? I've been great. Um, in terms of movie watching, I think I started out January and February both averaging like over a movie a day. And then March and April hit and it went below that. You know, still getting like roughly 20 movies a month. So like industry standard yeah doing really well <laughs> but all of a sudden i'm going out more and i'm watching nba playoffs and in terms of me my big news i haven't even told you this yet kev i'm dropping this on the pod yeah i got into my education program all right congrats yeah way to go what does that look like it looks like i will start uh i work while i'm doing it okay and it'll start it's a 16 month program that starts in january of 2023 uh so i got some time to chill i have to actually do a geology course in the meantime so that i'm just hanging out with rocks nice yeah it kind of sucks but that don't worry about that yeah uh and yeah it's wednesday nights and saturday morning classes right so come January 2023, we're thinking maybe two or three pods a month because you'll have lots of available time. For sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, this has been like a life goal of mine for like, I don't know, it feels like seven years. And then like two years ago, I made the change into working at a different school after working in the same program for like 10 years with the intention of getting into this program. And I got in as soon as I was eligible. So I'm I'm pumped right now. That's awesome. Congrats. Thanks, dude. I'm, I'm stoked to be recording with you when you go through it. And we'll, we'll, we'll I'm sure we'll talk more about it. Yeah, we'll we'll have some like we'll have a, like a top school related pod or something, yeah, you know, school we'll, movies. Yeah, super bad book smart. OK, well, we'll save it. Yeah. Um, How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Also, also pretty busy. I, I, I definitely hear you from the, you know, like doing more things outside i know it's it's funny it feels like we have this conversation every like spring anytime it's like pretty nice out Mm -hmm. we say the same thing we're like we're watching less movies and we're outdoors more Mm -hmm. um but yeah for sure it's like for me there's just more ultimate going on like sports are like full on um taking over my life as they always did for many years until the covid shutdown um so it's a weird it feels normal but it also feels busy and uh so squeezing in the movies around the edges is kind of what i'm what i'm doing um and it's always still a nice escape um where during maybe that meat of COVID, like watching movies every day was like became what I was like accustomed to. Now I'm like moving back to more of a bit of a balance where I can get them in when I can. And when I do, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be kind of like leaving my busy time and getting right into a movie. And we've just been going to like theaters more, which mm-hmm. is fun. And and uh, yeah, I guess I just wanted to ask you one thing about that now that we've been going to more theaters and you know this pod we're talking about the hot start to 2022 for all these awesome movies that we're going to um 
for you as sort of an avid theater goer prior to the COVID shutdown. And then we recorded a pod about our movie experiences and going to watch Quiet Place 2 when they like freshly reopened in Canada. But for you, like this moment, right this second, can you compare watching movies in a theater to say like one year ago, like right during the like heart of like COVID lockdowns and then like pre-COVID and like what the differences feel like for you? Yeah, well, I think... Uh, a big moment for me, and we're going to talk about this movie, by going to see everything everywhere all at once was a big moment for me because all the restrictions have been removed uh, in terms of like how many people could be seated in a movie theater. So I think that was the first time I've actually sat beside somebody who I like I didn't go to the movie with. And I actually sat beside, I'm going to have a story about it later, but like a 10-year-old girl. I was like, okay, this is going to be kind of cool. Sure. I was able to get the armrest, so that was always a win. (laughs) Straight Uh, bullied her off the armrest? Pretty much. But what was really cool about going to see that movie, and uh, just spoiler for the pod later on, like that's the most fun I've had in a movie theater since COVID. Like, And I've, I don't know, gone to like 20 plus movies in theaters since the beginning of COVID. Maybe. I don't know. I, but, uh, there's a lot of humor in that movie and I forgot how important it is to like experience humor with other people. And when like, it's infectious when people are laughing around you. So it really builds to that experience. And so, uh, while it was a little jarring at first of just getting used to like being in a crowd of people, I like really relished that experience and like had a lot of fun with it. Uh, in terms of like comparing it to like pre COVID, it feels like so long ago that like, it's hard to remember like going to the movie theaters like back then and uh, every theater experience I go to is just like it's getting better and better and better and uh, we're, we're in a good space in 2022 there's so many good movies that have come out early and uh, I think like you you had in our rundown like we do not have the post Oscar slump or the dull drums. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like normally, you know, you watch the Oscars and I mean, you know, we reacted on our pod uh, on our Instagram and stuff, but there there was action at the Oscars for sure. Mm, yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like after the Oscars, like the movie watching world just kind of chills for a bit, especially like the public, like the like the big like mainstream movie watching world mm-hmm. like dies down for a bit and then kind of gets momentum leading up to like next award season and like the big like Christmas blockbusters and stuff that come out. But this year it's like right here in the early spring and then to like this, you know, May, there's just been bangers coming out every couple weeks essentially yeah kind of kickstarting with the batman which we're gonna wind up talking about which was like right in that moment and uh yeah so it's it, it is really awesome and and i did want to mention like i saw the batman at the dunbar which is like uh you know a local smaller community theater that i um would have went to a lot when i was a kid mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting that you talk about the like movie watching experience and the, and the, just this more people in there and it, you know we saw batman i think in the first four or five days of it being out and so it was like pat it was like pretty busy yeah and there is there's nothing quite like it especially for like a long winding like dark movie that wasn't like humorous necessarily that it had that buzz in the reactions as well and then there's that general buzz of like when you leave and people are talking about it like that's that's something you don't get when you watch something at home in lockdown when you're just watching something at home when the movie ends you're just like it's over now 
and you just I don't know whatever mm-hmm. off yeah, <laughs> and then you, go to bed. You, you pick up your phone. <laughs> yeah, and you pick you your phone. Check up. Yeah. your Instagram or whatever. Sure. Um, I had a weird experience when I went to see Batman because I like booked it from work on my bicycle to the theater got there and I was like oh like trailers are probably starting right now so like I'm, I'm okay I'm okay had my seat booked and everything I get in the movie's already playing and I'm like a little confused and I don't know what happened I had the time right uh <laughs> they did you I was frazzled I was like sweaty because I, I got this long bike ride and I was just like okay uh I gotta like and it's like kind of like winter still so I'm wearing all this stuff but uh there were two people in my seat oh no Oh, what a nightmare. And I like went and I had like, I picked this exact spot and there was going to be nobody beside me. And I was like, okay, I'm in the balcony of Fifth Avenue. We go there a lot. You know the one. And I like get in there and I like pull up my phone at the back of the theater just to make sure that like I'm before I kick these people out. <laughs> I mean, was there space? Could you have just taken a different seat? I wanted that seat. Fair, Kevin. fair, fair, fair. <laughs> I, I was still a little COVID phobic. I like, I didn't really want to be sitting like amongst all the people. Plus I didn't, the, the seats that were available were like directly on the side. Yeah, didn't want to be on the side. Yeah, exactly. I got you. So then like pulled up my phone, made sure that I was correct. Meanwhile, the like, movie's just on. The Riddler's like doing his like, duct tape thing yeah and i'm like oh my gosh and uh i had to like go and i'm like hey i think you're in my seat and they like they get up and they they had to move to the other side they they were in the wrong seat but (laughs) i was frazzled oh well it's funny that you mentioned like missing the trailers because i were you not only are we going to talk about the hot start right there's some movies that we recommend yeah but there's just there's just been good trailers too yeah like we're i'm at you know we're watching a good movie we're watching batman or everything everywhere all at once and you see the like nick cage movie trailer Mm -hmm. i mean that's an eyebrow razor uh and then there's obviously top gun 2 which we're going to tease at the very end of this episode and then there's Men, which is the uh, Jesse Buckley one that's coming out, or yep. that's out. Alex maybe. Garland. Not out yet, right. but it's coming. So it's like, and, and then there's Nope, the Jordan Peele movie, where Nope rolls down in the biggest letters you've ever seen in your life right across the screen, and, and you're like, it's like a Jordan Peele movie. You're like, okay, 22 is kicking. Yeah. You know, I think when we both saw the trailer to Nope after or before watching Everything Everywhere All at Once, I think I mentioned to you, I was like, we don't really know what that movie's about. I've seen that trailer like four times now in Aliens, theaters. I guess. Aliens and like horses being able to sense something bad's going on and like the power goes off and just people saying, nope. Yeah, we're and ready for it though. We're ready for it. And just the words Jordan Peele comes down on the mm-hmm. screen and that man has clout. Like he's able to just make us go like, yeah, we're going to see that movie without actually telling us anything about what the movie's about. So... Hold that thought, because when we get to the Northmen, I'm going to have the same thought. We're going to talk about clout. We're going to talk about Eggers, and we're going to talk about going to watch movies. But first, let's do our homework, Cal. Now that we have the pleasantries aside, uh, we assigned some nice movies. And yeah. let's let's break them down. So I assigned you Master and Commander, the 2003 Peter Weir movie, and you assigned me Juice, 1992 Ernest Dickerson flick. Uh, why don't you go first, Master and Commander? What did you think? I mean, full disclosure, this is a Carrie all timer, and she, mm-hmm. when I hadn't seen it, you know, practically divorced me on the spot. Yeah. Uh, but since I've seen it three times, so I'm ready to talk You've seen about it. Three, it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. I've seen it one time. <laughs> I, watched, I, I woke up at 7:30 on Saturday. 
Saturday and checked it out. Wow, nice. Myself a little morning. Wow, great time to spend the chat, Captain Jack Aubrey. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Master and Commander, um, 2003 movie directed by Peter Weir. Uh, it stars Russell Crowe as Aubrey. Uh, he's a captain in the Royal Navy, and Paul Bettany is uh, his ship's surgeon as Stephen Maturin. Um, and he's commanding the HMS Surprise. Uh, where they're sent to intercept the, uh, what was it again? The Acheron. Acheron, yeah. uh, which is a French heavy frigate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we armed to the teeth. Yeah, we qu- <laughs> we quickly learn that this is a boat that like the HMS Surprise cannot contend with. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of like a. It's like just a full on like adventure tale. I kind of have it written down here that it's uh, a sea vessel film without without the glamour of a Pirates of the Caribbean. Sure. And so we're just stuck on this gigantic ship, and it's in the 1800s. And it's what first my biggest takeaway. Like first of all, I liked the movie. Okay. Carrying, I'm getting that out of the way yeah. before she's like, "Are you going to criticize this?" Yeah, um, I liked the movie. Uh, 1800s ship life is not for me. Yeah, um, it's horrible. Yeah, and like, not only are the uh, the French the Acheron is is that the not only are they the enemy, but also the elements are definitely an enemy, uh, and they're just com- constantly combating the elements. Whether it's like tons of wind and like rocky rocky waters or just like no wind and right. they like they, yeah they yeah. go a little like stir crazy on yeah. the boat um i was wondering like what carrie thought of this this like so this movie was nominated for 10 academy awards uh and actually won two of them sound editing and cinematography um which is like amazing that you get all these like helicopter shots of this like gigantic mm-hmm. old uh ship schooner yeah. yeah uh but like how does like carrie feel about her two children <laughs> return of the king going up against <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean we can ask her but i i think she rides even harder for lord of the rings so okay. I, I don't I, yeah. I, I, this is a real win-win situation for her sure anything yeah it goes yeah um it doesn't have it felt like to me like the, this big plot of like okay we're gonna do this and this and this and this and this and then like that solves our problem like eventually we do have a climax like final fight scene with this like with the french ship with the Akron, and mm-hmm. like we got some tricks that they pull on them to like uh pretend they're like a not a f- fighting ship yeah yeah they have to lure them in to get closer so that they can actually like blast them mm-hmm. otherwise the french ship will just like outclass kill, them yeah kill yeah. them at range um but the scene that like jumped out to me the most was there's a fool there's like an albatross a big big old bird just like flying around the ship and he's just like waving this gun around and while this is happening no one's really stopping him yeah i mean i'm sure they're just they were just like that wasn't that uncommon for people to be up to no good on the ship deck. Yeah, well, he sh- tries to shoot a bird, and he shoots the surgeon. <laughs> and then uh, Captain Aubrey like goes to, I don't know, another guy on the ship, and he's like, can you do it? Can you mend him? And he's like... The guy's like hopeless, like totally Yeah, hopeless. and he's like, yeah. oh, I'll have to consult the surgeon, like, Maturin's notes. Yeah. And then Maturin's like... 
fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Give it to me. <laughs> they, they like land on the Galapagos islands just, and then he does his own surgery while doing it. Like he does it backwards on himself while being shot through a mirror. It was crazy. So that was my favorite part. And also I like, I did a lot of reading uh, about like, Oh yeah. All 20 books. (laughs) Well, yeah. So this is based off of 20, 20, uh, the series, the Patrick O'Brien novels, which follows Aubrey mature and through all sorts of different adventures. And it's based off of, this is actually adapted from three of the books in that series. Um, when I say I did some reading, no, I did not read those books, but, uh, I'm watching movies. I don't read books. Yeah, Yeah. Um, Russell Crowe learned how to play violin. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. They have like these like two nice scenes where they just like play. Yeah. One guy's playing the cello and he's playing the violin and they're just like having a good time. It's very cute. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. And he learned to play the violin. It's not actually him playing on the recording that you hear. Sure. But he's playing the right notes by his hands. Also, I feel like this captures Paul Bettany and Russell Crowe basically as good as they get at the peak of their powers i'd say so i mean i mean i'm sure some i'm sure someone could come in here and argue different for gladiator or knight's tale or wimbledon or whatever for paul bettany but i mean this movie is right there in that time period when both these two are absolutely dialed Mm -hmm. in and and they're incredible and like they're the scenes like they're in every scene this whole movie and it's um it's a lovely ride because gladiator had already happened yeah and then you had a beautiful mind when they're both in it together Mm -hmm. uh and then getting them back together yeah get the band back together literally when they play music together (laughs) yeah um and Russell Crowe, well, I'll end on this. Russell Crowe said that learning to play the violin was the hardest thing he's ever done for a film. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if, if our listeners haven't seen this, it's like, it's like closet action, closet period piece, closet adventure. It feels like you're just like on a boat, but really this has it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think would have a pretty high approval rating. Like, if you don't like an action movie, you would still like Master and Commander a lot. Yeah. If you're, like, not a, like, period piece sucker, you'd still like this because it, it feels, like, pretty timeless. Like, you watch this today. This is 20 years after it came out. Yeah. It looks right? great. And it looks fabulous. So, yeah. um yeah, get on it if you haven't seen it, and then come back and listen to our conversation. Sweet. What do you think of Juice? Okay. Juice, the 1992 Ernest Dickerson movie. Um... Yeah, I mean, it was it was a watch. Let me tell you, like, I'll give you the plot rundown. Uh, four friends, Q, Bishop, Steele, and Raheem are just, you know, regular pals in Harlem. And they're just kind of, they kind of get up to no good. That's, you know, what how the movie starts. They're just, like, skipping out on school, smoking, drinking. They're, like, shoplifting and... and uh, you just sort of get an introduction to what they do on a day to day and they get in altercations with rival gangs and that, you know, they're talking to girls and it's kind of like their life. You kind of get a glimpse. Um, and then the movie takes like a pretty significant turn. Um, when, uh, they, the group decides they're going to like do a little more than their normal, just like goofing around and fucking around in the, in the neighborhood. And they decide they're going to like stick up, uh, a convenience store. And then Bishop played by Tupac, um, shoots the shopkeeper in the head. And then basically from that moment on, it's a horror movie 
for lack of a better term, or it, yeah. pl- it plays as a horror movie as they wind their way away from that moment. And yeah, things go from bad to worse, starting at that moment when he commits murder um, in the in the in the shop. Um, yeah. So so basically, like, I mean, some of the takeaways I had was one of them was the horror movie aspect. It's like the 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 beginning is sort of fairly light. I mean, they do establish Tupac as like the bishop um, as wild card. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a wild card. He's getting yeah. in altercations with his own friends. It's pretty clear it's like his way or the highway, which is going to cause problems later on. Yeah. Um, so when they do decide to like go rob the, the shop and he just goes rogue and shoots the shopkeeper, they there's no talking him down from that moment on. He's basically a full-on villain in the movie. And he has a gun. And he has a so gun. You don't want to mess with He's him. got the only gun. Yeah. Uh, of him and his crew and yeah i don't know i mean it was it was honestly pretty dark like for the first half i was like oh this is cool and and um omar epps who plays the the character q is like in a dj contest and he's pretty great and you can see you you like really want him to succeed as the viewer Mm -hmm. and you can just see how much trouble like his other you know interests aka Doing crime, crime with him and being his a crime guy. being a crime guy with his boy Tupac and his other pals Raheem and Steele. Yeah, I mean, from that moment on, it's it's pretty scary because you can see how quickly, like for example, Q, who has DJing prospects, seems like things are kind of coming together for Q, and he has an avenue out of sort of this like troublesome area, and, mm-hmm. and he could become a DJ, and he's he's you know he can see success, and he there's even a scene where he like goes to school and. Tupac comes and finds him. He's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, and, and you can kind of see that Q's struggling with like deciding like how he's going to like live his life, but he's attached via like camaraderie and brotherhood to this like crew that, you know, rolls and, um, just like roams around the streets making trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has a way out, but there's no way out for Tupac and Tupac just like brings everyone into his sphere. Yeah. Really like fucks it all up for them, to be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, Tupac, like, or like Bishop, Mm -hmm. Tupac's character, uh, our initial meeting with him when he's in his house and you see, uh, like, his father is in the house, but his father isn't... It's just, like, removed. Yeah. Like, he's, like, emotionally vacant. Yeah. And I don't... we, We don't get the backstory on that, but, like, Bishop definitely has, like, problems at home. So he doesn't really have, like, a safe space to go. And, like... It feels almost like his like his four friends or his three friends are like his closest like family. And then once he kind of like goes down the spiral and he realizes that people don't necessarily want to like hang out with him, he just like fully snaps. And like you said, he goes rogue and he's got nothing. He's got no one and he's going to take everyone down with him. Yeah. And he says he even says, like, I don't care if I die or I'm not exactly sure what the language was but I don't care if I go down mm-hmm. essentially um, a few notes about this movie uh, soundtrack incredible obviously it yeah. features like several DJing scenes so we get a lot of music as a main feature Queen in Latifah the, yeah we get a, a great Queen Latifah um, character as the DJ host um, but also just it just feels like now I haven't done a lot of like reading into this era of filmmaking what the rules are for usage and rights of music and whatnot but i do like understand that it's easier to 
it was easier at that time to get access to really good music. Right. Um, again, not knowing that from any sort of experience in the business, but I just know that when I'm watching movies set in the 90s or like 80s, 90s filmed movies, they just have like the awesome music from that era playing at like parties on like radio stations in the car, at the record shop, like in the clubs. They have like unreal music that plays as the ambient soundtrack. And then obviously the soundtrack itself is, is like right on. Um, and then they have, you know, like, uh, the character steel, like rolls around with a boom box in his mm-hmm. shoulder and they're, and they're just like pumping out beats. Um, the soundtrack that accompanies this movie is like really fun and upbeat. And it's like the hip hop, music of the era and it's so good it's like so intoxicating um it's on point with like the the scene we we actually watched we rewatched it before uh recording but when they're in the elevator uh and tupac pulls out a gun uh cypress hills how how I could just kill a man comes on and just like it, it fits perfectly and um yeah, so good call on the soundtrack. I know you're not a hip hop guy, but it like you, you can tell. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not anti hip hop. I just sure. you know it's I don't just gravitate it gravitate towards it naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I loved it. Love the movie. I mean, it definitely is one of those ones that I'm gonna keep thinking about. You can already tell just just because of the way it was shifted, the the filming so raw it doesn't really feel like a movie. I think that's one thing. Like you see some movies. I mean, Master and Commander is an example. It feels like you're watching a movie. For sure, I think. yeah. Like, and there's others where you're just, you know, we we use Wes Anderson as an example in our whole, like, a whole pod about him. It's like the entire time, you know exactly what you're like, oh, I'm watching a movie. Yeah. This one, like, sucks you in. It just invites you into the area to be around these guys. And then when things go bad, you're so, like, um, jolted. Like, Harlem is like a character in itself. In, in the, the movie. movie, yeah. Yeah. Um, a cool thing about it, director Ernest Dickerson uh, is Spike Lee's main cinematographer. So, like, he's dialed in on like how to light things and like and how to film New York. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he's doing that. Um, and here's a little fun trivia tidbit for you. Uh, Omar Epps has played a character named Q in another movie as well. Uh, Love and Basketball. Different Q. Different Q. Or <laughs> is it the same? I right. don't know. It's a different one. Right. But, you know, maybe it's a multiverse Q. Spiritually connected. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thanks for the recommendation. And again, this is one that I highly recommend people see. I feel like, I mean, you know, you also gave me um, Boys in the Hood last year. And this feels spiritually similar, to be honest, about mm-hmm. about the way it's the way it's shot and the way the story is told and, and then obviously the content as well. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed it and I appreciate it. Sweet. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we said it at the top, the, the hot start to 2022. I think we're all like very enthusiastic here in the flicks and chill recording booth about what 2022 has already brought and what's to come. So we're going to kind of get into it and talk about four movies. Um, we're going to do our best to have sort of a spoiler free discussion. It doesn't necessarily mean it'll be completely void of like plot and discussion about what happens in these movies, but I highly recommend that you can listen to this and then go watch them and not feel like we totally tarnished anything 
anything in the movie. Um, and if you've already watched it, we also hope that you can get some from this this conversation. Um, that's kind of, you know, we're tre- tre- trending along that line. This is maybe a little newer territory for us. Um as we have normally done recaps or say like gone back in time in our feature discussions or talked about directors specifically or whatever it may may be. Um, this is maybe the first time for you and I that we've done kind of reporting on stuff that's out right now in theaters. Yeah. You can go and see, I I guess not turning red, but you can go see all the other movies in theaters still. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, the Northman, the Batman, Turning Red and Everything Everywhere All at Once. So four kind of big banger 2022 openers that, um, yeah, that have really tickled us. And, uh, yeah, we're ready to go. So let's get into it. All right. We'll kick things off with The Northman. Uh, this is Robert Eggers' third feature film. Uh, and it's a revenge story about a boy, Amleth, uh, and a future heir to a kingdom. Uh, who witnesses his uncle kill his father and claim his mother as a prize. I will avenge you, father! I will save you, mother! I will kill you, Fiona! I will avenge you, father. I will save you, mother. I will kill you, Fiona. He says, I will avenge you, father. I will save you, mother, and I will kill you, Fiona. Um, and that that's... Honestly, that's basically it. It's not much to spoil in this. Uh, there's, there's plenty to spoil in this if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. But by saying this is a pure revenge tale is just defining exactly what happens in this movie. And yeah. and, and uh, as someone, if you haven't seen it, you can get ready for a violent uh, revenge thriller, essentially. Um, one thing I wanted to mention like right off the top, which I know we teased earlier, which, which was Robert Eggers is someone who... I mean, who made The Witch and The Lighthouse, um, both movies that you and I have seen multiple times and, um, you know, appreciate and like. Uh, For me, like, The Witch, it, like, fucking scared the shit out of me. And then The Lighthouse was, like, pretty disturbing. It's a weird one. But the whole time, you just, it's tough to get over how visually stimulating Eggers can shoot a movie. And at this point, basically, after The Northman, He's at that level with some of the others that we've talked about, like, say, Jordan Peele. And for me, like, Denis Villeneuve, Greta Gerwig, Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, when Licorice Pizza came out last year, we were just like, we're going to watch it. Yeah. Like, it's an auto, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't really matter what they come out with. These are kind of, like, your go-to people. Yeah. Um, And everyone sort of has theirs, but but Eggers is just on my list now. Um, Despite not really being a horror guy... His stuff's just too good. When he comes out with something, it feels special. Definitely. And I think we can put down like Alex Garland, who did Annihilation and Ex Machina and now is coming out with Men. We don't know what Men's about. We know it has Jesse Buckley. We know it has some apples falling to the ground (laughs) and some weird men in the trailer. But we're going to go see it. And eventually, like, I think that's something that's been really cool about doing this pod and uh, just like kind of like learning more about movies and films that we just enjoy is we start to like discover things that we continuously want to seek out. And it's these people who continue to create. So Eggers is one for you. It's one for me. Um, And just one thing that I have up top here, uh, all of the directors of the four movies are all uh they all have writing credits 
on their movies that we're going to talk about. So they're all like, you could really feel their fingerprints, not just like in the actual like fabrication of like the film in terms of like the technical aspects, but the actual plot and like the emotion of each movie. And so they're like really dialed in. And I think that like goes to, we can say that about like most of the directors that we like and we talk about. Uh, Right, as opposed to say like a script that gets optioned and then and then a director's like, I'll come in and like... Mm-hmm. and shoot that yeah um yeah there's definitely something special and, and i know reading about the northman eggers and and the lead alexander skarsgård had been in talks for years like prior to lighthouse yeah about doing a norse uh, epic uh, yeah a viking movie and um yeah so uh you know we mentioned skarsgård this is a this cast is absolutely stacked um anya taylor joy who is like you know uh a frequent collaborator of Robert Eggers. Um, she's just a huge star now. Um, Willem Dafoe is like classic Willem Dafoe in this <laughs> movie. He's very good. Um, Nicole Kidman, Ethan Hawke, uh, you know, the, the name, the names go on. This is a loaded movie at every turn, um, but it really does center around Alexander Skarsgård's main character. And uh, one note, he's fucking gigantic in this movie. He's huge. And it's, it really like helps support his character, I think, because you just it's really believable that he's just a true monster. He embodies this like wolf like energy, as you'll see in the movie. Wolf bear man. <laughs> and he he is upon you know, upon reading about it, like apparently he put on like twenty or twenty-five pounds of just muscle for this movie, and it shows cause he's He's ripped up. He's he's absolutely ripped up. He has like a ten pack, and his lats go up to like his temples. He's <laughs> colossal. And then when he gets in these fights, they feel like physically accurate. You know, he he outmuscles people in these kind of like rough fighting scenes. And I just also appreciated that he he. I mean, he takes on some damage in the movie that feels like relatively realistic. Again, right. not giving anything away, but there's just there's a lot of fighting. It's very it's a violent movie. Oh, and gosh. and he despite being an absolute monster, huge physically, he gets hurt and and they those those moments feel real as opposed to him being like a superhero type character who just like can't take on any damage if that makes sense um i feel like i appreciated that especially later in the movie when things get tougher and tougher yeah i think uh one thing i want to mention about this is like so just this is a big project in terms of like the actual movie itself this one had a 90 million dollar budget uh the lighthouse had an 11 million dollar budget and the witch had a four million dollar budget so and those two movies his first robert eggers first two movies they were really like centered in like kind of like one or two locations uh this one is like expansive and they had to go through like they they filmed in ireland they filmed in iceland all sorts of different places and you can really feel like the the like the breadth and the scope of this movie as well as like like the certain scenes where it's like a long take of them like pillaging this village and he like catches a spear and throws it <laughs> right back at them yeah, are you kidding me yeah, that's a sick scene it's unreal and but when it gets down to like the nitty gritty of like the actual fighting like I felt like with the sound and the, the the choreography of it all, you can like almost like feel it in your seat. And I can remember like sitting in the theater, sitting beside some of our friends, and I was like 
covering my face. And I was like, oh, uh, while like still looking. But uh, it's like a very visceral movie. And then like it's covered in like mud and fire and lava. Yeah. And there are parts where you can just like almost like feel the like the camera is just right into the ground with Skarsgård and he has to deliver like a super physical performance and it makes me wonder and I want, I want to talk about this with uh, everything everywhere all at once later on it's like how are movies like this going to stack up come Oscar season because typically it's those movies that come out like October November December as they're gearing up they want to ramp up for like actual like voting time how will this like I do in terms of nominations because it's like the craftsmanship is excellent. I thought Skarsgård was great in it. Uh, why can't we get a nomination for this? I mean, I think we can probably expect one. I I hope so. If we look, I mean, well, let's put it this way: I'm I'm okay with this not getting nominated first stuff if there's just tons of movies that come out and totally dwarf sure. it and I'd be pumped on that yeah. <laughs> but are we just going to get recency bias of those movies coming out later on it's possible and- I mean the argument to be made is like Coda we watched it like a year before the Oscars and they won best picture yeah so it's true it, 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 shout out to us picking that yeah right on hey. um, it's worth the watch it's definitely worth the watch in theater I feel like we always say that we, we de- I mean, well let's put it this way in a couple minutes we'll talk about Turning Red you don't have to watch that in theater I don't even know if you can anymore. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I mean, sure, it'd be better probably, but sure. not too much. This movie, it's massive, it's visceral, it's loud, mm-hmm. and it's, it's like you said, extremely physical. Um, I will say, Robert Eggers' movies just aren't for everyone. You know, we've given recommendations on this movie, on this, on this show, where we would, like, recommend it to any human being we pass in the street. Right. And I'll... I would definitely recommend The Northman, and we're here doing it on this pod. But, you know, if you don't like violence or gore or, like, old-timey via physical violence and war, it's just not really for you. You know, it, it is specific in that. In that, Yeah, I think that I, I've done a lot of reading about this movie, and Eggers keeps talking about how uh, it's the most realistic Viking film ever made. And I think he's, like, trying to be... Uh, like realistic and like pay homage to like what would actually happen in those scenes and one thing about like Scarzar's character and like while he's our hero he's not necessarily like a good guy no not by any sort of modern day morality standpoint no. like <laughs> the stuff that he has to do yes he's on this path of vengeance but the stuff that he has to do over the 20 like you don't see it but you see one village raid and you just see what his those berserkers and his people are doing to this village they're not good people no. and you know that he's involved in that yeah. Um, before we move on, Cal, Nicole Kidman delivers a, I would say, kind of nuanced to some to some degree based on how it starts versus how it finishes performance. Mm-hmm. And I know you wanted to mention, probably can't talk about the specific scene where she goes like big time for it. Mm-hmm. But um, great Nicole Kidman in this movie. 
Absolutely. I, yeah, like you said, I won't go into the exact specifics of it, but she, uh, you were kind of talking about it just with me beforehand where you kind of feel like she's just kind of there and she's not really contributing very much for a while. And then later on, it like all comes together and you, she has, I think it's not like a, it's like the, the interpersonal character, the, the, conversation scene stealing moment of the movie where I went oh and uh, I absolutely loved what she did in that scene and it makes you think back to what she's doing earlier on in the movie and everything makes sense and yeah kudos to her so yeah the Northman uh, you can definitely see it in theaters and then soon it'll probably be out on demand but um, can't recommend it enough if anything I would say this is the Robert Eggers movie that I would recommend to people out of his three features. Oh, it's his least, like, weird one. Yeah. Like, The Witch is, like, too scary. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone unless they were super pumped on horror. And The Lighthouse is just kind of fucked up and, like, visually disturbing. Yeah. This one's got pieces of all of that, but it's, like, a little bit more digestible, I would say, um, for people who love movies and movie going. Go watch The Northman. Yeah. In theaters. I watched like 25 minutes of YouTube videos on like the workouts that Scars of Cards did. I'm going to be yoked soon. Yeah, you're going to look like him. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. Come back, talk about the Batman. Sweet. Okay. So let's talk about the Batman. Uh, directed by Matt Reeves, who you'll know from the Planet of the Apes movies. Um, just going to throw this out there. This movie is on Crave right now, so you can watch it. Um, where do we enter? We all, we've all we all seen Batman movies. Uh, so for this one, the entry point is the mayor of Gotham has been brutally murdered by a masked man. And we quickly learn that Lieutenant, so this is pre-commissioner, Jim Gordon, played by Jeffrey Wright, has a friendly work relationship with... <sighs> The Batman. <laughs> yeah. While the rest of the police force uh, doesn't accept him. They don't want anything to do with him. They don't understand why he's there. Yeah, just a professional relationship, just like you have with some of your colleagues. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so the Batman has been brought into crime scenes to help solve them, especially this one being uh, so important of the mayor being murdered. Uh, what is this? This is a true detective movie. Um, this is not... We, we do not get an origin story of Bruce Wayne becoming Batman. And uh, this is the beginning of, like, a franchise. Uh, just off the bat, it's been okayed for a sequel. Basically, this movie's about vengeance. Uh, like, Batman wants it uh, because he believes that Gotham is corrupt to his core because of what happened to his parents. Uh, Catwoman, played by Zoe Kravitz. Woo! Uh, she wants it uh, because of what's happened to her friend and like some like family past history that she's dealing with with also like certain characters such as Carmine Falcone uh, played by John Turturro this is an awesome cast uh, we learn like our, our main bad villain uh, the Riddler uh, he wants revenge because of uh, how he felt he was treated by like uh, societal systems and social housing and like being raised in the orphanage system and he just feels like he's been left behind and so he's hellbent on like harming all sorts of people that have done him and anyone like him done wrong to him so like I said it's a 
true detective movie and we have an imperfect Batman. He is like kind of clumsy at times. Uh, he's only been doing this for two years. We learn we learn that really early on in the movie. Uh, he's like flying into bridges at some points. He's not graceful when he hurdles in through windows into like apartments. Uh, and for me, I feel like he's a man that can fight super really well. He has a lot of money because he has this like bulletproof suit and he has all these gadgets. But he's not a superhero. He makes mistakes. And he's not a playboy. This is a difference in our Bruce Wayne. Uh, he's We don't get that Christian Bale, like, kind of... Suave. Suave, chauvinistic, machismo style. He's like this nocturnal animal who's a recluse. And all he cares about is putting his eye makeup on and going out into the city and going out at night. Yeah, but boy, is he still hot. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so we get Robert Pattinson. Of course he's hot. Uh, and he's... Uh, you know, I've really liked him as Batman. I really like one thing I'll just say about his voice. Uh, he definitely like has like a lower deep, deep in Batman voice, but it's not comical. Sometimes I like watch like the Christian Bale ones and he'll like say to the guy like, I'm not wearing hockey pads. Yeah. I'm like, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny. Like, I really liked him as uh, Batman. Um yeah, Kev, you you have some thoughts? I can keep going for a while. So. <laughs> yeah, cook. No, I uh, I mean I agree with you know everything you've said about analyzing the imperfect Batman. I think also you know it should be said that in this movie we don't spend a great deal of time with Bruce Wayne. I like that. We basically, spend it all with Batman, and the only time we spend with Bruce Wayne is the time you just he and the viewer just wish we could get back to Batman. <laughs> um, whereas like, that's a, that's a little bit of a departure from the Christopher Nolan, um, Christian Bale ones where it's like, it's more split mm-hmm. and there's like a lot more Bruce Wayne, like out in public, like doing stuff like you mentioned, right. Christian Bale was like a real, like out there playboy style, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Showing up to a hotel with two women on his arm. Yeah. And this was more, you know, I mean, to be fair, you never got the sense that that Batman, like that Bruce Wayne wanted to do those things, but he (laughs) like did them and did it well. Whereas like our Pats as Batman is just, it's just not, not about it. He just blocked the locks his door up. Yeah. He's just straight recluse. Um, and I like that. It's like more mysterious, and this movie is like steeped in mystery and detective work, and so it really fits the vibe. Um, Matt Reeves, as the like director and the you know the person who guided this movie, I think did a really good job. It's so dark, like it's so dark. Not only is it dark um, emotionally and what's happening, Mm -hmm. it's also really just dark physically dark yeah right it's just they don't let you out of the dark or the rain at all for the whole movie um so it really traps you in there and and it can feel kind of claustrophobic at time at times which is nice if you're willing to do it one thing i will say about the like public reception of this movie i feel like it dropped and everyone was like wow this is lit right people were loving it people were giving it like rave reviews um for the most part um it was getting very like supported Mm -hmm. you know 
I did have some friends. I find with like my friend group, it's been like fairly polarizing. The Dark Knight trilogy was so well loved. Yeah. Right. Batman Begins is, I mean, pretty legendary. I think it's my favorite one of the three. Dark Knight itself is like the movie of the trilogy. Yeah. Everyone's obsessed with it. It's got the Heath Ledger Joker, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Dark Knight Rises is like maybe a little step down, but like everyone's like, it tidied up things pretty well. Everyone loves Tom Hardy and it's just good. Right. That series is awesome. So coming in to try to make after that, it's like I don't necessarily envy Matt Reeves because he has to come in and do something different, but it's got to be good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think if you watch this movie through the lens of like if you walk into the theater doors being like everyone loves this movie and then you're also thinking about the Christopher Nolan ones, it's like a trap and you could be like, I'm bored. Right. And it's like. It's a little slower paced. It's much slower paced. And even though the action sequences are done really well, I think, they're like more subdued. And the movie itself is closer to, like we've talked about, like you have listed here, it's closer to like Zodiac. Yeah. It's closer to like a long drawn out detective thriller Mm -hmm. than it is closer to like the Christopher Nolan like banger Batmans. Right. So I think, you know, and, and not to like criticize anyone for feeling like, they don't know enough about movies or Batman to like go into this because whatever. But I think if you were to go into this movie, like I hope that someone's listening to this and hasn't seen it yet and knows that they're getting themselves into like a interesting weaving detective movie. And don't just think so hard about it being a Batman banger. And I think it sets you up to like the movie a lot more. I went in fairly blank. I was like, our Pats is Batman. That was like the, my mind going into it. And then mm-hmm. I was rewarded. Right. Um, so that's just like some initial points, really good fight sequences, like the hand to hand stuff is like a lot. It's clean. It's really like tidy. And I love the like specific scene where the gunfire is like the only light down that tunnel as he's fighting them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you only see chunks of the fight every time a gun blast goes off. And um, yeah, so that one's a real keeper. And, and I just think overall, it's like a really dark crime detective movie and it was really fun to be to watch yeah i think like we're gonna we've mentioned it several times about how dark this movie is um i really want to like quadruple down on that point um i found like that this movie's like pulling almost influences from like the saw series and like jigsaw almost like the riddler's like doing little things like that where he's like putting people in traps and it's not gory and gratuitous you don't see any of it uh so it's not like disgusting like the saw movies but i just like i see little things that they're doing in that and something that i really like was the uh the world building of what they did with gotham all obviously like it has connections to like feeling like new york city but it felt to me like i was in its own city of gotham and it's dank and it's dreary um it is just wet it is always raining and um I this reminds me of like a Fincher movie we talked about you mentioned Zodiac there and so it like kind of like pulls almost like uh, from like seven and almost like feels like we get like some Zodiac little fight club like some Gone Girl just like the way it feels kind of menacing throughout Um, but 
I like how dark it was. And something that I love was the needle drop of Nirvana's song, Something in the Way. I wish I could say I'm making a difference, but I don't know. fit the mood perfectly i wish that we had like because that's in the trailer i wish it wasn't in the trailer i would have been even more hyped if it just like came on and then you getting the r pattison like voiceover during it when he's like kind of introing like what is wrong with batman or sorry with uh gotham and so i think this movie was like is absolutely worth seeing i don't know is it like my favorite batman movie like I don't know if I'm ready to make that call yet I probably have to watch some of the Nolan ones again but it the fact that it's in the conversation worth mentioning is I think worth watching so uh yeah that's that's my spiel on it uh oh also I gotta give a shout out to Paul Dano as the Riddler I thought he was like an, an excellent villain and for a long time he's just masked you don't see him and then they have like the interrogation scene uh where paul dano is given the opportunity to go like full lunatic and they really like hold that card until the end uh moment and that's not like like, i don't think that's spoiling it eventually you're gonna like obviously have a, a confrontation with the villain but it's it's worth it. Yeah, and they know what they have with Paul Dano. That's the, that. I think that's the thing. It's like we've been watching Paul Dano for nine years be like a borderline lunatic on screen. Yeah. in a lot of his roles, mm-hmm. and so when the trailer dropped and it was like he like says the little line in the trailer, I was like, oh, mama, like we we get Paul Dano as like a crazy person. Yeah, again. Yeah. At this time, it's like really important that he's crazy. Um, so you knew he was going to do a great job. Um, yeah. I, 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 yeah. And I think Zoe Kravitz, like, she's great. She's in fabulous it. in it. And Paul Dano is fabulous in it. And then the supporting cast, like Totoro and Jeffrey Col- Wright. Yeah. Colin Farrell. Yeah. We haven't like, even mentioned him. Yeah. I mean, he's unrecognizable as the penguin. But in any case, the like, the glue of the movie is spread wider mm-hmm. and it just means it's like more like structurally sound. So when you spend time away from Robert Pattinson and you spend time with Zoe Kravitz and Paul Dano, you're a little more, you feel a little bit more comfortable. Like the movie's still in good hands, like hurtling towards the end. Also one note on Dano's villain, it feels pretty of the time um again without spoiling anything he uses like like modern technology like the internet and like reddit or discord or whatever like whatever you want to see it as but like an online platform to like rally his like supporters Mm -hmm. and that feels pretty of the time and it feels kind of worrisome honestly yeah it feels like too accurate to what could happen and what has happened in real life with like rallying people to a cause um through social media and media and like uh, you know online forums essentially there is something that happens in this movie that did make me feel uncomfortable watching it so yeah um, I don't want to give that away Batman great watch a phenomenal Batman and a, I think a great start to a new Batman series it feels like we're in good hands with Matt Reeves at least for the first two yeah and they they we're getting a little do we want to mention well they tease the joker yes yeah yeah so we're i think we're gonna get a little joker coming in and it like it looks 
like don't compare it to Heath Ledger. It looks like their own. So I'm into it. Sweet. Okay. Moving on, uh, we're away from Vengeance and Revenge, which we dunked for the first two movies. Batman and Northman are, um, although very different, have some similar themes. Now we're going to move on and talk about like acceptance and love and family. Um, the first movie we're going to talk about <laughs> is Turning Red, the, the newest installment from Pixar Studios, uh, directed by Domi Shi. Um a 32-year-old Canadian woman. Uh, so massive shout out. Um, yeah, the, the, I mean, the movie is like fundamentally Canadian at its core, which I really dig. Um, yeah, the, and just so to give a little like plot introduction, um, it's set in 2002 Toronto and it follows a young uh, girl, Maylin Lee, a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian student. Um, due to her... <sighs> hereditary curse um she uh, turns into a, a giant red panda when overcome with strong emotions i'm maylin lee and ever since i turned 13 i've been doing my own thing making my own moves 24 7 365 i wear what i want say what i want and i will not hesitate to do a spontaneous cartwheel if i feel so moved <laughs> oh, crap. it's a um pretty on the nose analogy for puberty and like going through physical changes um at that time in your life um yeah so she um first woman to direct a pixar feature and this is the second pixar film to star an asian lead um and so like i don't know just big ups to dami she i feel like my initial note to this movie was how like instantly it felt like in toronto officially a grown-up at least according to the toronto transit commission good for you um again you and i aren't from toronto but i have been there many times and i also just have an attachment to canada um we you know as a uh, as canadian guys um i just love seeing like the canadian flavor of the movie timbits on the table timbits on the table they mentioned the ttc in the first scene obviously the like big concert in the movie set at skydome um this is like stamped in the early 2000s and it's stamped in Canada with all the Canadian flag stuff with the panda and it's just um, it's fun and I think the only you know there's a lot of filming that goes on in Toronto and Vancouver those are like main like primary movie locations but it's always set in like Seattle or Oregon or like the woods somewhere or if it's like filmed in Toronto set in New York Mm -hmm. right and it's so um, or it's set in a studio right wherever but I think it's like a little more rare that the movies that like Canada actually gets like spotlit. Um, so it was pretty fun. And and I think that was like something that I really appreciated about it. And it's also not like a little indie small studio picture that features some Canada stuff. It's Pixar. It's yeah. a monster studio and everyone's going to see it. It's on like, you know, this one of the biggest streaming platforms in the world. Um yeah, so I have some patriotic love that our, our country gets, like, splashed everywhere in a Pixar movie. Um, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, Cal, do you have any sort of initial takeaways from this movie? Obviously, the the plot follows Mei Lin, uh, Mei Mei, who turns into a giant panda when she's experiencing uh, strong emotions. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's weird. It's pretty classic Pixar. But it also has some departures from the standard Pixar-like look. And I'm just curious, um, 
yeah, for your sort of initial takeaways. Yeah, basically, May May and her friends, like this little like geek squad of her and three other girls, uh, they love a band, Four Town, and. It's a like a classic boy band and they just want to go to this concert and they are discovering themselves and just as like 13 year old girls, they're like interested in boys. They're finding like attraction for the first time. And like you said, the red panda is like an allegory, a big metaphor for puberty, but also like social changes and the... Uh, way of like separating yourself from the path that your parents have like set out for you. So that's kind of like what this movie is doing. And it's based on Domi Shi's experiences growing up in Toronto herself. She says, obviously she didn't turn into a red panda. Okay. But um, that we know of. Um, But I think that like something that's so cool about this movie uh, is like setting it back in 2002. Like Domi Shi, she's 32. So if we go back 20 years, like she is 12. So this is like her, right? And so um, I think it's like this movie's like super successful because setting something back in 2002 for us to go and watch it is like, hey, like I remember that. I like I remember playing like a, a Tamagotchi. I remember like, I don't know, like I wasn't like necessarily into boy bands, but I like remember I didn't like boy bands then. But now if like a Backstreet Boys song comes on now and I'm out at a bar with friends, like that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're iconic and they're really stamped in the moment. It's super nostalgic for us. And so I think this movie's really successful. And I wonder like comparing it back to like, we both watched Luca, liked it. I don't think we loved it. I loved Soul. And I like considered that like a Pixar masterpiece at the time. But I wonder if this is like even more uh, relatable because I think that Soul felt like it was uh, a Pixar movie, like even more for adults, all about like who you are as a person and like what does your soul represent. But I think that with this one, you could really make this movie for adults our age, 30, between 30s, 40s. Uh, And then you can also like, because you have this giant fluffy red panda, you get like kids liking it as well. The animation is absolutely gorgeous. I feel like I can like, I, I know what the fur feels like. Right. Like just like how it looks, like I can like, I can feel it. And that's some that. And they describe how soft it is and stuff in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, I I mean, like I've, I, I've never been a 13 year old girl, but I thought it was like pretty cool to see them talk about like, periods in a Pixar movie that was like I I, I had a lot of enjoyment out of that Uh, Kev I was wondering do you have any like thoughts on like a a puberty going through puberty (laughs) yeah stories yeah memory yeah memory where I just woke up and I was completely different yeah um it I mean not not really I was I was I was I was you know thinking about this and I think for me like I, I I didn't like really go through puberty as early as like some of my friends like I was really small and then even after like I went through the like you know physical changes and stuff I was Mm -hmm. small I was like a really small guy until grade 12 and then even then I was like a little taller but I was like really slender and like couldn't couldn't have a beard like I do remember that I was like my brother and my dad have beards like for sure right and I was maybe like 17 at this point, not even like 13. Mm. Right. And I was like, 
I can't even like I was like using a little electric razor to like trim a little bit of mustache off like once every like six weeks. And I'm talking like I'm like 17. I'm like almost a man, supposedly. Sure. Right. And I have friends who are like shaving full on like beards. And Mm -hmm. like Blair was in like grade 12, my brother or whatever. When he was in grade 11, 12, he had a beard. And And then he was in first year and had like a full beard. Right. First year university or whatever. So I, I was a little like, how come I'm never I'm not gonna have a beard? Like I don't really get it. And so I was like just a little bit of a late bloomer, I suppose you could say, but I never had any sort of like traumatic puberty related incidents aside from feeling like I was just behind. Well, I think you're doing really well now. You always got a face full of hair. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe yeah. I could never do it as an 18-year-old. So I was like, I'm 30 now. Let's get this beard absolutely yeah. going. You got long hair, too. You got hair everywhere, Kev. <laughs> Amen. Uh, for me, I re- I can like remember, I think my voice cracked in grade 9. And like I really went through like the change. I can remember having like a moment where I was going to go film like a social studies like video with like five of my like classmates and like all of a sudden saying like guys we need to like go to this area but it was like guys we need to like and then all my friends just was like started like clowning on me and like doing the the voice cracking like mocking voice and i was like yeah so that was my little like turning red (laughs) moment and like you know turning red it can be like an uh uh like the actual title can be talking about embarrassment a lot of teams go through that talking about periods talking about the fur of the panda it's pretty it's pretty good stuff yeah i think as we near the end of this discussion i think one of the main takeaways is also what you mentioned earlier that we sort of zoomed past which is like the family element of this is uh like maylin is stuck between trying to do what her family and her parents want her to do mm-hmm. and doing like what she just wants to do independently of her parents yes. and her family and her expectations. Um, and that obviously causes like friction and conflict. And that's something that we've all gone through. Um, you know, I feel like there's different, like not everyone has the same like upbringing, but there's always like expectations put on you at some point, whether it's by your like parents or just by like the society in which you operate in. And so like breaking free of those or sticking to them is always a point of friction and and obviously in this um you learn that like her mom also had that same like should i break free or should i right moment or should i follow my like preordained path moment and so she starts to understand that like we all start to understand that that's a moment where like friction develops and you have to make a choice and and anytime you get that in a movie you 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 generate conflict you get to generate like excitement on the screen um and this one also just happens to accompany us with massive red pandas yeah um yeah so without spoiling anything this is a must watch it's on disney plus this is as easy as it gets it's super fun i really like it okay so let's talk about the movie uh on Letterbox right now is the number one rated movie of all time. It's a little crazy. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's directed by the Daniels, Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan. They've done a movie together called Swiss Army Man, starring Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, you can check that on Amazon Prime. <laughs> uh, so this movie 
I went in going like pretty blind and all I knew was this initial tagline. Uh, a tired and overworked middle-aged Chinese woman living in the United States is frustrated as she struggles to file her taxes. That's right, folks. It's a taxes movie. Perfect timing. <laughs> uh, and also, but then what you really learn is it's a multiverse movie uh, where a woman played by Michelle Yeoh uh, learns that she can be the one person to save her world and all the other universes of the world by connecting the lives that she could have had and like kind of not like righting the wrongs but kind of coming to terms with everything um and similar to turning red it's a family drama uh with a bunch of martial arts and outrageous (laughs) comedic elements throughout uh but yeah at its roots, it's all about family and the relationships that we have. We have a dysfunctional family trying to run their own business, a laundromat. Uh, they're trying to raise a young adult daughter, similar to Turning Red, uh, and who's also trying to find herself and create her own path and where she's not necessarily like always accepted for the way she lives her life at home and for the way she looks and for everything that she's doing. Um... And I think this is like an absolute phenomenal masterpiece of a movie. I I, it, I said it earlier, it is the most fun I've had watching a movie in theaters. I actually saw it twice. I saw it the, uh, I saw it on a Thursday, and then I said I saw it on a Friday with our big crew. So, and both times watching it, I had a blast. Um, Kev, let's hit you with like some initial thoughts and then we can kind of like break down some stuff about it. Sure. Yeah. And this is a movie where like we could spoil like some stuff. So we're just not going to do that, but we can talk about it surface level. And if you've seen it, you'll get some enjoyment from our conversation. And if you haven't, you'll get pumped up to go see it because we'll be talking very highly about it. Initial thoughts. One on the highest ranked uh, movie ever. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have some qualms with that. I'm, I, it is very, very good. Sure. But even a movie like Parasite took some time to become the, like, highest movie rated of all time. <laughs> yeah. This one, like, dropped and then was, and popped. Just five out of five, five out of five. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there's an element of, like, people have been cooped up for two years in COVID and finally got out to this and they were like, that fucking banged because it was, like, hidden and then slap people across the face. Right. Like, this isn't, like, Batman, which everyone's like, I know everything about it, now heading off to the theater. Um, I will admit that I was, like, completely blindsided by this. I just knew there was, like, a Michelle a Michelle Yeoh movie coming out, mm-hmm. and I was like, I didn't know any... Quite literally didn't know anything about it. And I just knew that... You know, I watched... I even watched the trailer, which didn't really give anything away. <laughs> but I was like, okay, like, this seems, like, energetic and out there, and then and then... And I watched it and I'm like, okay, it's a huge hit. It's a huge hit. Everyone loves it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like funny. It's like a comedy. It's like an action adventure dramedy. For sure. Um, and it's, it's got a lot going for it. This is a high, high appeal. Um, this would be one of those ones that I would basically recommend to anyone. Um, Absolutely. Um, I like some of my thoughts about it was, Basically, we talk about how it's a multiverse movie, and uh, what I'll say about it is basically there are all these other universes where 
uh, Michelle Yeoh and all these other characters exist and she has to learn to harness the power to borrow different skills so she might be a laundromat uh, owner in one universe but in another universe I don't know she's a NASCAR driver and by doing something like basically a random task she's able to learn and harness that power from that other universe and bring it into this universe and uh, defeat the people that are standing in her way Uh, and this leads to all sorts of like hilarious random acts that happen on screen and while some of them like feel out of place uh, it never like to me felt like gratuitous in terms of like it's like attempts at comedy and it's this is the first movie that I can remember going to theaters in like I don't know two years for sure but maybe more I don't know where I was just like laughing out loud with people beside me that I didn't know and that's so much fun Um, I did wonder like in the script process because there's so much outlandish stuff that happens on screen mm -hmm. I did wonder like if the Daniels were extremely refined with how they wrote the jokes or if it was like instinctual I don't know if we'll ever know but some of it felt so insane that I just wonder how much it was workshopped or if they were like fuck it let's do X and then the other guy was like yeah and then they just slapped it in there and it like looked because of the randomness that needs to happen mm-hmm. or you know on the on the flip side where they like really perfectionist with what they expected in the timing and the like visuals and the 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 com- the the, com- the comedy I'm just I'm curious because sometimes it felt instinctual and it felt so off the wall and sometimes it felt like it needed to be perfect in order to hit right. And uh, I mean, you hear a lot about when people do comedies, like, you know, historically, there's like a lot of room for the leads, like the big comedic leads, just like cook in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. But there's not really a big comedic lead in the movie. Realistically, I mean, Michelle Yeoh is like hilarious and the daughter's really funny, but they're not, I wouldn't necessarily consider either of them like huge comic stars at the present moment. No. And so I, I do wonder like, yeah, we'll never know probably, but curious to know like that, what the process was behind it. Just, just because, I mean, for people who haven't seen it, once you watch it, you'll understand what I mean when things are like so fucking weird, honestly, really weird scenes and, and moments. And I wonder how much of it was just like instinctual or how much was like refined perfection. I think the thing, the, my, my biggest takeaway from this movie is that it felt like a completely original story that I just like really enjoyed experiencing something completely brand new at its root. There is like a family drama element of like accepting your daughter, loving your husband, being at peace with your, your father and, uh, accepting your past and your decisions that you make. But at the same time for her to get to that realization, she, goes through like a ridiculous amount of scenes and uh, I don't know like uh, like every- just a crazy path to her discovery and, and her understanding and acceptance yes and I just feel like I haven't seen a movie like that before so it was like incredibly refreshing for me and I was I'm like absolutely blown away by this movie so I, I, I can't 
recommend it enough. I thought one thing that I really liked was a uh, Kihu Kwan, uh, who is plays the husband. He call he plays Waymond. Uh, he is the young boy in the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, uh, that's Temple right. of Doom and The Last Crusade, and it was also in the Goonies. And he took like. 20 or 30 years off of acting and he got brought back for this movie and he's phenomenal he's the emotional quarterback for this movie and you just love him so much Jamie Lee Curtis incredible she's fabulous yeah and uh I thought the fighting looked amazing Uh, I love like comparing it to the fighting movies that we see today it doesn't rely on CGI it's just I mean it's it's a martial arts action flick for those moments every time there's a <laughs> fighting scene mm-hmm. and then just it's filled with hot dog hot dog fingers dildo weapons butt plugs finger web paper cuts you name it yeah so everything everywhere all at once uh see it it's still in theaters it's a banger and it's rated very high extremely high I'm very curious to see in 50 years if it's going to like hold its like ranking up against ones that have been like historically rated as the best movies ever. Yeah. Is that what we're going to be talking about? I mean, on Letterboxd, you and I both gave it five out of five. So we contribute to this. Sure. But I give like every movie I see a five out of five. It's true. <laughs> no. You know, here's the funny thing. Uh, something I just noticed. You gave the Northman four out of five. I gave the Northman 4.5 out of 5. A rare one where I give where I go higher. Yeah, well, maybe I'll see it again and give it 5. So, how about that? Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get into our homework assignments. Let's close this out. Um, so, you you crunched the numbers and determined that we've seen 99 movies together. Mm-hmm. Either co-watched via like streaming them together in separate houses over COVID or hanging out in the same house or being in the same theater. Yeah. Um, it was determined that at the beginning of this whole escapade that when we got to 100, we were going to watch Top Gun together. Um, and that when we got to 100, you were going to make sure I watched um, Moonlight. Yeah. So, we have preordained homework today. Um, so, I'll just give you... Uh, mine. I'm going to get you to watch Top Gun, especially okay. leading up to Top Gun 2. This couldn't have worked out for better timing. Um, and what's my homework, Cal? Uh, you're going to watch a little ditty called Moonlight. Fabulous. Maybe Cal's favorite movie of all time? Maybe. It is. And to close things out, we're going to let you, the listener, know that the upcoming summer recording schedule is going to fluctuate. And we're going to do our best to bring you, um, you know, a handful of pods over the over the course of this spring and summer. Uh, also recognizing that our calendars are uh, wacky over the next few months and, and into the fall. Um, but stay tuned. And we always appreciate getting bugged, right? Sometimes um, people are like, when's the next pod dropping? And I'm like, oh, you do fucking listen to it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's always inspiring to hear from you. Hit us up on Instagram. Um, yeah, we love doing these. So thanks a lot for listening to today's episode. And we'll be back soon. Thanks, everyone. Yeah.